following is a presentation of Cornerstone Bible Church in Virginia Beach. For more information on Cornerstone, as well as additional sermon downloads, please visit cbcvirginia.com. Let's go ahead and take a look at our passage this morning, and then we'll pray. So if you don't know where it is, open the beginning of your Bible, Genesis 1, and we'll read verse 26 and 27. Let's, let's, let's read together. This is God's Word. Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Let's go to Lord in prayer together. Dear Lord, How majestic is your name in all the earth. There is no one like you, and we worship you because you are God. As we open your word, we ask that you would give us the spirit of wisdom and a revelation in the knowledge of you this morning. For those of us who know you personally, we have had our eyes of our hearts enlightened, and so we ask that you would help us to know the hope that you've called us to that we would know the riches of your glorious inheritance and the saints around us, and that we would know the immeasurable greatness of your power to us who believe, the same power that raised Christ from the dead and placed him far above all rule and authority for now and evermore. We also ask for your gracious work to save sinners that would hear the message preached today, this morning, or maybe this recording later. Without reserve, we ask that you would break through hard and stony hearts that need your mercy. Would you act in a way to grant them faith and repentance? We submit ourselves to you, O Lord. We pray that you would actively work this morning to change us forever and to make us more and more in the image of Jesus Christ, our Lord. It's in his holy and precious name we pray. Amen. This past Friday, just two days ago, was the 48th anniversary of Roe v. Wade. If you're not familiar, this is the decision of the U.S. Supreme Court to protect a pregnant woman's freedom to choose to have an abortion. Since this time, at least 61 million unborn children have lost their lives to abortion. And most likely, it's far more than that, but those are the ones that we have recorded. And often we think that this is a reality that happens in the big cities, the big things that are going on in these big liberal states but many of you know that's not true. In 2017, we have record that the Virginia uh, Department of Health given to us, in 2017, 5,108 abortions occurred in Southampton Roads, south side here. The next year in 2018, it went up. 5,398 abortions occurred in Southampton Roads. The next year, 2019, that's the one that we finally have numbers for. We don't have 2020 yet, but in 2019, the numbers came in. It went up again. We learn that now 5,518 abortions have occurred in Southampton Roads, in our backyard here. Let me just put that in perspective for you. That means that an average of 15 unborn human lives were taken every day in our backyard. 15, every day. For every three babies that are born alive, one will die because of abortion. For the sake of comparison, and I tread lightly here, I'd ask you to consider how this measures up, though, to our current death total from COVID-19 in our area. 
apples to apples, what's happening here in Southampton Roads. As of yesterday morning, there were 631 deaths from the coronavirus in Southampton Roads. 631 versus 5,518. Now, I am in no way downplaying what's happening in the midst of this pandemic. No way at all. Human life is human life. But I ask you to consider and reckon with this number. We have to reckon with the disparity between what's going on across demographics here. 631, 5,518 in 2019. And again, these are just verified numbers that we have from 2019. We don't even have those that are coming out soon, and actually next year, about 2020. But as you can kind of think about it and think what might be going on in the midst of all the social upheaval and all the concern, there's, there's a pretty good chance that these numbers will go up again. This is Sanctity of Human Life Day, or for short, Life Day. Um, today we worship our Lord as we do each week. We haven't stopped that to do something completely different and not worship God. We come together and worship Him through the reading of the Word, through singing His praises, through praying together, but also through listening and understanding and praying along with those that lead us in prayer. And also, get this, we worship him through believing the word that is preached. It's not just me up here worshiping this morning, but you, each of you, as you listen and take in and believe the truth of this word. And it changes us. But we recognize that to this morning is a little bit different. I've been going through Ephesians, and I'm taking a, a whole Sunday, a whole sermon, to preach about this truth. And some of you may ask, man, Chris, why such a big deal um, you know, about this one specifically. We join with other Christians in, in, in ways not like this usually, but now we're taking this whole sermon out of our time to really break away and talk about this one issue. Isn't this just like a, a politically conservative view that kind of makes some people Republicans? Why take a whole Sunday to preach about this? It's become a topic that more and more Christians do not want to talk about. Some have grown very weary of this conversation, uh, almost like, come on, like, oh, this is sometimes abortion. It's like all that Christians seem to talk about in the open. But like, can't we just move on to focus on some other things that are going on? And obviously, we would all want to protect human lives that are within our congregation or within our families. But, you know, when we kind of talk about it outside of that realm, we're talking about like those things are going on in unbelievers' homes and unbelieving hospitals. You know, are we starting to border on activism and not Christianity? Aren't we supposed to do that first here? Why preach a whole sermon on the sin of abortion? I'd like you to hang on with me for a while while I answer a few other things because we're going to eventually come back to that question and answer that. But we have to start somewhere else. Today, I want us to consider the sanctity, the sacredness of human life. And I want us to respond to this truth that the scriptures tell us. I want us to consider the dignity of each and every human being. And I want us to see that when we properly understand the value of human life and we properly act in such a way that keeps it sacred, we worship God. It's Christian worship. Now we began by reading Genesis 1, 26 and 27. And before we get to those verses, we need to understand what happened before that. What I'm going to do is I'm actually read the whole Bible before that. We're going to start all the way back in Genesis 1. I'm going to read the 25 verses leading up to this. We're going to see what God has to do the beginning before he ever makes man. And I want you to pay attention to all the different incredible things that God has made before he's made humans. I want you to think about each and every piece of this incredible creation until we get finally to man. So here we go. Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, 
God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so. And God called the expanse heaven. And there was evening and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth and the waters that were gathered together, he called seas. And God saw that it was good. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its own kind. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening and there was morning the third day. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. Let there be for signs, and let them be for signs and for seasons and days and years. And let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the, the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. And God said, let the, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures. Let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters in the seas and let birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. And God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds and the livestock according to their kinds and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Now, now do you see and hear and feel all of the things that God has made? Consider the vast universe filled with the lights and the planets and the microscopic organisms. I mean, I think about the two things of magnification, like a telescope and looking out and trying to see the vastness of the universe around us, seeing planets and stars and all the different things that we don't even know exist out there. And we're constantly enamored by this thing that is so vast. Then think about the other one, the microscope. And we look under a microscope and we see a whole other world that's going on in the minutest level. All of creation screams, God is awesome. It shows it all constantly. And we know the psalmist talks about this. The heavens declare the glory of God. I think these lab scientists probably, when they're Christians, they say, yeah, the heavens do, but so do like this lens under here. I can see that it declares the glory of God as well. This vast creation that God has made shows the wonders of who he is. It's at this point that we think about this for a moment. God makes something different than all the other things. 
Up to this point, he's made some incredible stuff. But at this point, he tells us that he wants to make something, get this, that's like him. He wants it to be like him. He's going to now give us his best in a sense. Like, okay, the thing that is going to image me, the thing that is made in my likeness. When we look at everything God has made, we declare praises to him. But here we see this difference that says, set apart from the rest of creation, this one will be made in my image. He makes something different than all the other things. He gets to the point and says, it's time to make something that is like me. Verse 26, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. In other words, when the creator of the universe wanted to create something in his image, something more like himself than the rest of all creation, he made us. When, when it, I don't think I'd really thought about this too much before. Like I really probably meditated more on that this week than other things and realized the vastness of God's declaring his glory through us. Because like, I don't know if you know of, of what a person I am, and probably the people you are, we struggle with sin. We're weak. We're fallible. We're foolish. We do all kinds of dumb things. And yet we see in the scriptures that we are made in the likeness of God. We are made in his image. Uh, the truth is I'm probably too influenced by our evolutionary age, but I often think of myself as an incredible, smart, complex animal. I, I know that's a wrong thought, but I, I just, to be honest, that's the way I often think about myself compared to the other creatures. And I know a lot of people think that their dogs and their cats are like just almost the same as us, just on four legs. But here we're seeing that something specifically different is going on. Those things sprouted out from the earth, God says. But here he makes us in his image. When God prepares to make men, he does, he does so with the intent to declare himself. Now, I'll admit that we could spend several sermons on just these two verses, and it would be good for us to do so, but that's not what we're going to do today. I want us to see that the Scripture declares and assumes that man is not just another animal. Man is made in the image of God, and because of that, he is incredibly valuable. Uh, we all must ask, though, like as we're going around here, we says, what does it mean to be made in the image of God? And this is an important question to ask, and one that theologians have debated for thousands of years, literally, trying to understand all of what it would mean as someone is made in the image of God. However, that doesn't mean that we don't have an answer here. And at the most basic, simple, practical level, I think John Piper, a, a theologian and pastor, gets it right. He just says this, images are created to image. In other words, God created us in his image so that we would display or reflect or communicate who he is how great he is, and what he is like. So being made in the image of God means that we are like God and that therefore we represent God. And therefore we understand that man is of a different worth than the rest of creation. He's showing us that because humanity is made in the likeness of God, being made in the image like him, there's something ontologically weighty about people. Like their essence is actually different from a cat or a dog. They are a different category altogether. This is most clearly seen in God's command concerning murder. Like even after the image of God has been distorted from the fall, from Adam and Eve's rebellion, we know that's distorted. We understand that. But even after that, we come to Genesis 9, where God speaks to Noah. You remember this part, and this is what he says to Noah, Genesis 9, 6. 
Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For, here's the reason, for God made man in his own image. The scriptures clearly teach that humans are not animals and that their lives are precious because they are made in the image of God. We need to believe this and rejoice. This is wonderful. And this is what the psalmist really tells us in Psalm 8. And actually, I'll read it again later. But for now, it's enough to see that David rejoices in God because man has been made in his image. But you know that this sermon was not to give you more heady knowledge about the image of God. We're not here for an academic pursuit. I'm not here to give you a download on what the image of God is so you can do better at Bible Jeopardy. This isn't about learning Christian theology so your mind can be satisfied. Today, as I said before, is life day a specific time to promote life across the whole world and to declare injustice, the injustice of those who take it from the unborn. It really is a calling out of those who do not see life in the womb. It's a call for them to stop the destruction of God's image. It's a call to wake up and realize that our own country has slaughtered millions of real human beings. It's a call for us to understand that something has gone terribly wrong. But some of us might say, yes, dignity of human life, we get it, and we agree. I mean, we want to honor God's image and respect our Lord through the view of human life. But shouldn't we be concerned about God's image and honoring it in other areas too? Like, shouldn't we be concerned about violence or racism or human trafficking or prostitution or euthanasia? Well, shouldn't we be concerned about those as well? Well, the answer is yes, absolutely. We ought to be very concerned about these things. We ought to hate these sins and help the oppressed. But these things are not like abortion in our current society. I want you to pay attention here. Currently, our society looks on all of those things as wrong as well, that they're bad things that hurt people, and they want to make sure that those that do those things are prosecuted, that there is some sort of punishment to do them. It's illegal to do these things, at least currently. And as a side note, if these things were to ever change, we should be the first to stand up for human dignity and cry foul. No, we can't do this. But currently, our society sees these things as moral wrongs and therefore punishes those who do them. But in abortion, we find that the opposite is true. In abortion, we find that our society, our government, our neighbors, even in our authorities, have deemed it to be okay. More than that, they've deemed it to be legal. Roe v. Wade protects a woman's freedom to kill her unborn baby. It's legal. Worse than that, it is even seen as a good and honorable thing to do in our culture. Why would someone ever bring a person into this type of world in 2020 when we have all these problems and the pandemic, etc., etc.? Why would you bring someone in who is mentally handicapped and would struggle their whole life? Do you hate them? You should just abort them. This is the rhetoric that we hear regularly that somehow it's better to kill that life than to allow it to live in the society that we have right now. And I want, to think you, I want you to think as a Christian here in our society, our human government has been instituted by God. They're appointed by God. We know this from Romans 13. We understand this. And rulers are to be a terror to bad conduct. That's what Paul tells us. He, rulers are a servant of God, and they are an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. That's not my words. That's Paul in Romans 13, 4. But instead of avenging the wrongs done by those who snuff out the image of God in abortion, 
Our government condones the practice. Our government allows and promotes, and I'll go one step further, even celebrates the practice. We understand that this is not the view of the Bible. This is not what God says we ought to think about Christians and abortion. How then are we as Christians to respond? What should we do about this? The ones who are supposed to carry out justice against the wrongdoer are the ones who have become the chief promoters of this wickedness. How can you and I as Christians stand by then and be silent? In Proverbs 31, you usually know it for the Proverbs 31 woman. It's actually the first part is all about a mother who is speaking, a queen mother is speaking to her son Lemuel. And she's talking about how to be a wise and godly counselor and to reign the right way. Listen to verse 8 and 9. Open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of all who are destitute. Open your mouth, judge righteously, defend the rights of the poor and needy. And you may say, well, that's for a king. That's Lemuel. He's supposed to do this. The mother is teaching him how to rule. It's not necessarily for us. I'm just a peon. I don't actually do anything. May I remind you that you are a a citizen of the United States? And let me remind you what that means. We do not have a king like as some other countries would as, as far as a dictator and doing what he wants to do and we all just have to bow in every way. In a very real, real way, we, the people, govern the country by electing officials to do the work. We are a republic. We are in a place of privilege and responsibility. It is our stewardship to consider these things, to vote and to speak up for what is right. No one has said that this would be fun or easy because of what is at stake and because of what God calls for, for us to live in this world as beacons of light, we must patiently and unashamedly speak the truth to a world that has no regard for human dignity when it comes to abortion. We must do justice. We must speak for those who cannot speak. We must bring justice to the fatherless. Listen for a minute to Jeremiah 22. I'm just going to read a verse from there. Verse 3. Thus says the Lord, do justice and righteousness and deliver from the hand of the oppressor him who has been robbed. And do no wrong or violence to the resident alien, the fatherless, and the widow, nor shed innocent blood in this place. Isaiah 1.17, the Lord says, Learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's case. Now I believe that probably we're not that far away from other societal sins that we're going to struggle with here. We'll start speaking about other things as well. I don't think we're that far from considering euthanasia and perhaps other forms of death that do not measure the the, the health of a life as important for society to have. When that day comes, we have no choice as Christians but to speak up and say, foul, this is not right. Human dignity is at stake. But for now, we are compelled in in our situation by the scriptures to speak and to act on behalf of the innocent whose lives are taken from them in the womb. We're compelled because it is so clear in the scriptures that God has displayed his glory and his honor and his beauty through the simplicity and the magnificence of a human person. Listen to Psalm 8 and and just, just recognize the incredible connection that David makes with God's majesty through the creation of mankind. Verse one, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens Out of the mouth of babes and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him? 
and the Son of Man that you care for him. Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the sea. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the, in, in all the earth. In other words, you show yourself in the creation of man. You have chosen to show the whole universe 7.8 billion times your image of who you are. That's what we're taught. That's the current population of the world right now, as much as estimates can tell us. And you have told us that to destroy this image is wicked. It is a strike against God himself. We're compelled to speak up, therefore, for the unborn. Why? Because they are truly human. They are not a mass of cells. They are human beings. And as humans, they bear the image of our maker. Our culture doesn't see it. They don't understand the value, the weight, the glorious nature of man because they don't know God. But we do. We do know this truth. So today, I would ask you to consider your responsibility as a fellow image bearer specifically of those in our backyard who are be taken to death. You and I are the ones who have not only been made in the image of God, but because of Christ Jesus, we are being transformed into the image of his dear son. That's 2 Corinthians 3.18. We understand what's actually at stake here. It's the glory of God. And let me explain our situation a little bit, where we're at. We've already talked a little bit about 2017, 18, and 19. We've continued to see the abortion rate rise in our own cities. If you look at some of the legislation that's been passed just in the last year, it has gutted the protections for the unborn. It has been, in a sense, a heyday for those who hate life in this way and want to see abortion rise and, and be, do really well. And we've watched as the Virginia legislation has continued to remove more and more protections for the unborn. And most recently, we've watched as mothers and fathers have approached this topic with a great deal of fear and anxiety and uncertainty. Think about the year we've had. I mean, can you imagine what's going on in a new parent's uh, mind when they were not prepared to bring a child into the world? I was talking to, to Beth uh, Shellhart, our sister who works at CPC, and she was telling me about um, some of the patients that they deal with, and specifically those who are what's called abortion-determined. You've probably heard that before. What I mean by that is there's a certain number of women that come into their clinics, and a certain part or a certain percentage of those come in and they ask them the questions, are you planning to abort? Are you planning to keep the baby? What, what's your plan? And then in between as well. There's always a certain percentage of the, of the ladies that they see who are planning to abort their babies. That's called uh, abortion determined. They're ready to do that. And for some reason, by God's grace, they've stumbled into uh, the CPC. And that's really the people, the population that CPC really wants to work with and see by love and grace and telling them the truth if they can bring them to not go through with the abortion. And that number, it varies year by year, up and down a little bit here and there, but that number in this year has increased. And it's not increased by like 20, 30%. That number has increased by 86% of those that come in saying, no, 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 I I'm going to abort for sure. Think about the spiritual warfare that is going on right now through fear and struggle and uncertainty unsure about resources, unsure about their own ability to take care of this child, unsure of the future, who knows what's gonna happen, better abort. 
This rise has created an enormous problem in a sense for those that actually come through the doors of CPC. And now the opportunity that stands them grows bigger and bigger, both for the glory of God, but they also see death in front of them day after day after day. The world around us is gripped by fear and uncertainty, and abortion seems reasonable, safe, honorable even. The situation is dire. With this truth in mind, what are we to do? How can you and I speak up for the oppressed, for the unborn? How can we act in a way that helps those who have no voice, the ones who are made in the image of God, have a voice to potentially be able to survive? Allow me to suggest a few things that as we as Christians can value life and push back the darkness in this world. First thing, this may seem like just a softball, easy old thing. It's like, how's this spiritual warfare? You should email or call or get in touch with your senator somehow and your legislature and make a difference by simply voting, by taking this upon yourself to recognize that we have a say in how this goes. There's important legislation, of course, that continues to come due. We should be involved in that process. I'm not telling everyone here to be some sort of big social activist. I'm saying do the responsibility that God has given to us to, in a sense, become part of our country and rule through our vote as well. We ought to do that. It is right. Also, we ought to reach out to those who are hurting, those who are struggling with the potentiality of going through an abortion, and show them that there is another way. We ought to help them and provide resources and offer our own time and our service that we can show them the love of Christ, both to this baby, but also to the mothers and fathers that are going through this difficult time. It's extremely scary. We have to give our resources, of course, to support CPC and other organizations like them. If you don't know about CPC, and some of you probably already do, but if you don't know about this, I can, I don't do this very often, I can wholeheartedly give my support for CPC because they are not just about making sure that babies get born. One of the things that Toby continues beating all his, his heartbeat and his drum is to continue to not only concern ourselves about babies getting born, but the gospel being spread. I love this. We should be willing to jump in on this effort. And I'll say this as well. We have a structure that understands this already and is working at it diligently and they are about this task. They're in legislation, they're informing different churches, they're working with ladies, they're helping those who have actually struggled through abortions already, and how they deal and counsel and love them. They're proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. Can I call you guys, therefore, to jump and say, we can be part of that too. It's right for us to support them in love. And Beth told me that the CPC needs help in a couple different areas as well. The virtual walk for life is coming up. Here's some free, easy things. Sign up for the virtual walk for life. Raise money to support them. Walk for life. The baby bottle campaign, if you saw coming in, there's those silly looking baby bottles out front. Take one of those home and put change in it. Put checks in it. Put cash in it. Put gold bars. I don't care. Do it and use it as an opportunity to give and support this. Also, the CPC needs patient advocates, call center assistants, other volunteers who can help support these families who are in crisis. Consider how you can give your own time and resources. But lastly, there's something else that we can do. Right now even. When I talked to Beth about this, she gave me an, an, some incredible news that I didn't know. She said that in 2020, CPC met their budget. Now that may not sound like too much of a big deal to you. That means that in the midst of this pandemic and all the other things that are going on, people gave enough money for them to reach their goals and their budget and be able to operate as they need to. That's incredible, and we praise God for that, and it's good and right. 
But she also said that it's been the most difficult year of spiritual warfare that they feel like they've ever encountered, that the darkness is real. And when I asked Beth, what can we do as a body of Christ, both to support CPC and how should we get involved? She said, of course, there's other things, but can I tell you what I really want and what we are really asking of churches? That they champion this issue by going to God in prayer. <laughs> what an answer. I love that. She understands, and, and, and CPC understands, that money does not turn people's hearts. It can't. Certainly is helpful, and there's lots of things that we want to do with that. We want to use those resources well. But she understands, and the CPC understands, that what we are in the midst of is spiritual warfare. What a call. We ought to give our money, our time, our creative resources, but there's someone who is greater and stronger and more suited to do this work even than us. This call that she talked about reminded me of the passage that we just talked about last week. I'm going to read it for you. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Guys, us as a church are not going to single-handedly go over and do this work. We need the Lord's strength to be working in far bigger ways than we ever could do. We want to be involved and get involved in their lives and help as much as we can. But this call is to pray that God would soften hearts and set up situations that we can never sit up, set up and that he would work to save lives. We should pray that their lives would be saved, their hearts would be spared, and that the spread of the gospel of Lord Jesus Christ would go forward in our community. These are three simple prayer requests right here, and they're not my own. I didn't come up with these, actually. I wish I did. Uh, CPC, they're the ones that kind of blast the trumpet and say, this is what we want you to pray for. This is what we're all about. We want you to pray that lives would be saved. We want you to pray that hearts would be spared and that the gospel of Jesus Christ would be spread to our own backyard here in, in Southampton Roads. In a moment, we're gonna go to prayer together, actually. We're gonna practice by doing it and engage in spiritual warfare together against our enemy. But because we still desire, of course, to exercise caution, I just ask each family or unit that's together just to stay in your own rows for the moment we do this and pray together. But I want you to hear this, uh, I want us to do this together, both as a way of practicing, but also saying we can do this anywhere. It doesn't have to be right here. It could be on your way home as you drive. It could be in specific time each morning. It could be at night. It could be when you're eating your supper with your family. In each of these ways, we do spiritual warfare, and we trust that God alone has the might to strengthen us to do what is right, to knock down these different things that he is doing and, and, and break through. But I want to do two more things before we do this. Well, two, two points, and, and then we'll go to prayer. First, I want us to recognize that this may be one of the most difficult sermons for some of you to hear and sit through. In, in, a, in the population that's in this room, statistically it's true that some men and women in here have either experienced abortion personally or by extension in some way. I understand this and I want you to hear me very clearly. There is no sin too big for the Lord to forgive through the precious blood of Jesus Christ. The second person of the Trinity didn't, didn't die for most sins, but not this one. Praise God that his blood covers all sin. There is forgiveness in Christ, and there's life after abortion. There truly is. It's life in Christ. I would encourage you not to run from God, but to turn to him. 
and to know that your past actions can truly be put away from you. That restoration can be found in the person of Jesus Christ. That's the first thing. But second, I want each of us to consider these words from Proverbs 24. You've probably heard them before, 11 to 12. Let me say these. The writer says, Rescue those who are being taken away to death. Hold back those who are stumbling to the slaughter. If you say, Behold, we did not know this. Does not he who weighs the heart perceive it? Does not he who keeps watch over your souls know it? And will he not repay man according to his work? This is not a guilt trip, guys. That's not what this is meant to be. It's a call to obedience, to our responsibility. This is God's gracious hand of blessing for the life of the world through his people. He has chosen a people who are to shine forth and declare the good news. And remember, when I say the good news, I'm not only talking about Jesus alone, and that sounds incredible. Let me explain what I'm talking about here. People must understand that their maker is holy and demands justice and that they can't do it. That's the first part of the gospel. If you don't understand that, you just think that Jesus is another good teacher. No, because of our maker making us in his image and calling us to live righteously and because of the fall of Adam and our rebellion against God, what we need is someone else's righteousness. And it's only us who have the good news that Jesus has done this. Praise God. We declare the righteousness of God and the world's need for his work of salvation. He has chosen us as his people to tell this good news so that they also would come to worship this king. We are those people, recipients of the overwhelming grace of God. (laughs) It's not a point of pride. It's like how humbling that God would be gracious enough because we know who we are, not deserving of any of his love. How humbling, but we have a privilege and responsibility to speak the truth to the world. We cannot say that we do not know about this. We are the ones called to rescue those who are being taken away to death, who are stumbling to the slaughter. Now, this call, though, is a proclamation, yes, to stop killing the unborn physically, but it is also, and probably more comprehensively, a proclamation that Jesus Christ is Lord and there is salvation in him alone. In other words, this is a proclamation, hey, save those physically that need saving, but proclaim the gospel for those who need it eternally. This is not just about these 70, 80 years that we get as people, as human beings. We're talking about eternity. And when, when, the, when the writer says this, he's acknowledging that what we are about is a rescue mission. Yes, in, per, in physical life, but we're on a rescue mission to proclaim that there is only rescue and relief in Jesus Christ alone. So, obviously, we want to do what is right. We must not say that we didn't know. This is truth. We have to speak up and rescue those who are headed to death. So I ask you now, with these things in mind, let us together talk to the Lord in prayer. I'm going to do this. I'm just going to set on my watch three minutes. I want you to turn with your family and pray for these three prayer requests. Don't rush through it. It's okay if I end up cutting you off by praying but let us together go and ask God that he would save lives. We're talking about physical lives. That he would spare hearts, those who are considering this and those who have already gone through it, that are devastated by this. And then lastly, that the spread of the gospel go forth of our Lord Jesus Christ in our area. And not only would lives be saved physically, but that he would save their lives eternally in Jesus Christ. Oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Together we say this and know that 
often our lives do not proclaim it. There is great grace in Jesus Christ, and we are thankful for what you have done. I pray your Holy Spirit to enliven our hearts to do what is right, that you would call us to look out for those who have no voice. Help us not to be silent. Lord, give us courage in Jesus Christ to stand for what is right. And Lord, may through your image and through the revelation of Jesus Christ, people see the gospel and would they, Lord, come to know you. We pray for our backyard, our Southampton roads. Lord, would you please save those who do not know you? Would you make us ministers, joyful ministers that have the greatest message in the world, the eternal message of Jesus Christ? Would you make us more like you so that we might be called to doing that? And Lord, we ask that you would save lives. Lord, spare physical lives so that they might too hear the gospel. I, I pray also that you would uh, spare hearts, those that are going through them in the midst of this trial and not know what to do. Lord, please, would you help those that have already had abortions and struggle with this? Would you help them to know your grace and they would find forgiveness in Jesus? Lord, you cover this with the blood that you have shed on the cross. And Lord, I pray for the salvation of many. Oh God, would you please bring people to know you, to love you. Please bring worshipers to yourself. We pray all these things in Jesus' name.